We've been doing a series together called Change Minds, Change Lives. And I think one of the most important thought processes that we should really think through as believers is what we do with our freedom. God has given us a tremendous blessing allowing us to experience freedom. And that is something that the book of Galatians shares at length with us, the importance of grasping the fact that we are called to freedom in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here the Word of God is encouraging us to enjoy that freedom, but also to recognize that with freedom also comes great responsibility. And I think that's something that perhaps we really need to think about in our day and our time. Many of us think in terms of freedom, meaning I get to do what I want. And that is a very immature, irresponsible way of viewing our freedom. Now, I'm going to share a period of my life that I'm not very proud of, but I think it illustrates this point beautifully. Freshman year of college. I graduated from high school went to college, decided to take the college-level equivalency program tests, tested out of my first year. So I looked at that and I said, score, college is going to be easy. When I discovered that professors didn't necessarily take attendance, that was a free pass for me to turn into, let's have fun, Rob. And that's exactly what I did. I went to the student union and learned how to shoot pool. I bowled. A friend of mine had a farm with quarter horses, so we went and rode. There was a newly opened lake in our community, and they rented out canoes, and you could paddle literally for miles up some of the ravines that were now flooded. And, of course, we brought our fishing rods with us so we would fish and catch walleye and bass in this newly stocked lake. I enjoyed tennis. I enjoyed a new social life, getting to know people. It was a great year as far as fun. Academically, quite a different story. After that first semester where I tested out of roughly a year of college, I was put on academic probation. I ran to the mailbox trying to circumvent my parents getting the report And fortunately, my college was only $165 a semester at that point, right? State University, $165 a semester in West Virginia. That was a good deal. Uh, They still let me know that that's not okay, that I needed to exercise greater restraint in my freedom. And I knew it as well. God really spoke to my heart and said, Rob, what kind of testimony are you giving for me by being a slacker? Uh, It helped that my mom posted verses all over my wall of my room about the slackered and the sluggard from the book of Proverbs. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit took that and, and, and hammered me with it, reminding me that I needed to change my attitude. So I decided to take my freedom that I had in college and instead of investing it in my own entertainment, to invest it not only in education, but I became involved in a campus organization, Campus Crusade for Christ is what it was called then. And as a result of spending time 
discipling others and being discipled, I saw what it was to live a full Christian life and yet live it responsibly, not for self, but for God and for others. And really, that's the message of the passage of Scripture that we're going to look into this morning. Now, when the Apostle Paul starts this passage of Scripture, we find that he tells us in the 13th verse that we are called to freedom. We are to unapologetically live out the freedom that God has called us into. Look at how this is framed in the ESV. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This is a very simple statement that I think communicates profound truth. When we look at it, God's purpose and plan for us as His children, when we respond to the gospel, is to experience the fullness of the freedom that God created us to enjoy. It's a freedom from sin and from the condemnation of sin. And unfortunately, what a lot of people think when they see this word freedom, they immediately spring to this idea that freedom means I get to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. That is the definition of true freedom. But what do we find when we irresponsibly exercise freedom? We find that we are not delivered into greater freedom. We are delivered into bondage. And that's certainly the case when it comes to sin. You see, when we sin, we become bound by those sins. We suffer under the guilt and the shame of that sin. And as a result, rather than being free to do more, we find that we are isolated out of fellowship with God, out of fellowship with His people. We find that the consequences for those sins are often experienced in droves. We find that being delivered by God is not a delivery from the responsibility to live obedient lives. It's a deliverance to a life that seeks to please God and live for God and honor God. We don't want to be people who view the sin that God has called us to, that, has, that, that He has given us as a precious gift. We don't want to take that and use it improperly. That's really the message of this part of the passage. And it's being built on five chapters of the Apostle Paul sharing with us the wonder and the beauty of the freedom that God has called us into. You see, when I take my freedom and I look at it as an opportunity to just do what I want to do when I want to do it, I am basically buying in to the attitude of the sinner. The Word of God talks about this idea of rebellion toward the principles that God expresses clearly in His Word as His ideal for how we're to live and what we're to do. And John captured it in this way, but those who keep on sinning are against God, for every sin is done against the will of God. So here's the idea. I'm called to freedom, freedom from the consequences of sin, freedom from condemnation, but I am also called into the opportunity to live for God. And when I experience this freedom, it's not saying that I can go and disregard what God has revealed in His Word is the way that I am to conduct myself. It means that I am to consider it even more. I am to strive in an even greater way to put into practice what God has revealed as His truth. And that is the path to greater freedom. 
That's what God wants us to understand. Now, something else we see as we begin this text. When we look at what God has called us to, it's a liberty that's given to us to free us up. You know, Christian liberty is grace living. Now, again, as I stated, the first four and a half chapters of the book of Galatians is really a discussion by the Apostle Paul that he has given us his grace, grace meaning the riches of God's favor, freely given without being earned or merited in any way. And here's the idea. Grace living is a type of living that transforms us. You see, when I have truly experienced the grace of God in my life, I'm not just delivered from sin, but I am delivered to change. God works the work of transformation, change in my life. That is a result of His grace. The Apostle Paul shares the following. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So here's the idea. I'm delivered from sin. I'm delivered from its consequences. I'm delivered from its mastery over me. And I am delivered to experience a changed life. Now, what do we mean by a changed life? It's explained in this verse, the old has passed away. In other words, I no longer accept and adopt the values of my life when I was controlled by sin. I think differently. And what happens when we think differently, we live differently. God actually does a work by His Spirit in, His, in, in our lives to, to change us into the kind of people that God wants us to be. That's the idea of experiencing God's grace. And I submit this to you. If you think that you have experienced the grace of God, but there is no change in the way you think or in the way you behave, then you need to call into question whether you really experienced the grace of God, whether you've truly responded to the call of God to be free. See, being free doesn't just mean freedom from consequences. And sometimes as believers, that's what we focus on, freedom from consequences. It also focuses on the idea of freedom to do what is right in God's eyes. We are free not to sin, not to sin. That's what we need to keep in our thought processes. So God calls us to live differently, to live in this way. And what it reminds us of is this, that God's purpose for us is to live differently. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that He has appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Now, look at this sixth verse. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. One of the accusations about the doctrine of grace is the idea that basically, when a person receives the grace of God, some would teach that they now have a license to go out and do whatever they want to do with no consequence. I've got my ticket punched to heaven, and now that my ticket is punched to heaven, I never need to worry about not being in relationship with God or being right with God. That's an accusation that people make. That is not a biblical teaching 
in the least. You see, when we accept the grace of God, God's grace changes us. And as a result, while we may struggle with a besetting sin that we want to overcome, we don't look at it and say, well, this is great, I'm going to just go off in as much sin as I possibly can because I'm free to do so. We change our thinking about this. We understand that as a follower of God, I now have new responsibilities, different responsibilities, and I'm to honor God in the way I conduct myself. Now, when we progress in this passage, we come to the second half of that 13th verse, and it begins to discuss four ways that we live out our freedom in a godly way. And it begins with this statement right in the middle of that 13th verse, only do not turn your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, first of all, one of the ways that the Word of God really changes us when it comes to the grace of God and sets us free is we abandon licentiousness. Now, what is licentiousness? Licentiousness is very much like what I was talking about just moments ago. It's the idea that I can go and do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, without consequence. God has set me free from my sin, and now I go live the way I want to live. That is not what the Word of God teaches. As a matter of fact, Jude, in his letter, made the following statement. It says this, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, now listen to this, who pervert, that means twist or change, the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Some people in a misunderstanding of grace and freedom take it and say, I can use this as an opportunity for me to do what I want to do, live the way I want to live, and it can become an opportunity for my flesh. This is not what God's Word teaches you see, the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. It was given to us by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is going to see that the human authors are guided to write the very will of God, the very Word of God, that will guide us in our decisions, in our behaviors, in all of these things. And so, we as believers look to the Word of God as God's direction for us in what we're to do. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is how God wants us to live. Taking the Word of God and using that as a guide for how I'm to use my freedom that He's called me into. Now, notice again what this 13th verse says. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I want to key in on that word opportunity. In the original language, the word opportunity carries with it the idea of a base of operations, now, those of you who are in the military understand perfectly what base of operations means. If you're going on a foreign field to do battle, 
You have a base of operations where all of your resources, where all of your planning, where everything takes place, and it's set up as a place for you to go and accomplish missions outside that base of operations. What the Word of God warns us about is this. God has called us into freedom, but that isn't a base of operations so that my flesh, that sinful inclination on my part, can launch out into doing things that are motivated by not the Spirit of God, but by my own flesh. That's the tension that we find in this passage. A selfish use of our freedom is a freedom that seeks to use that freedom that God's called me into to somehow involve my flesh, that inclination to sin. And what God is saying is this, that's not why we were called to freedom. We aren't to take it as an opportunity for the flesh. We're to use it differently. We're to use it as unto God. The Word of God goes on in this passage to talk about something else. We should live our freedom with love. Love should be the focus of our freedom. Look at what the text goes on to say. That we are not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, and then a strong word of contrast, but through love serve one another. You know why God gave you great freedom? So that you can do great things. And part of doing those great things is investing the freedom that God's given you into loving God and into loving others. A little bit later, in the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look with me at the 22nd verse, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the freedom that God has called us into. And notice with the fruit of the Spirit, it begins with that fruit of love. God calls us to use our freedom lovingly. So what does that mean on a practical level? What it means is this. I think outside myself. I think first about God and then about others. God demonstrates to us what it is to take freedom and use it by investing it in the needs of others. John wrote this. And this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Now, think about what this text is communicating. Jesus Christ had absolute freedom to remain apart from the sin problems of this world. But He set aside His right to remain free from being the sacrifice for our sins, and He sacrificed it for love because of His great love for us. And then the 10th verse goes on to say this, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the example that God gives us of this ultimate sacrifice of freedom and coming into a world to meet the needs of others is our own Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. But then we get the 11th verse, which goes on to say this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know what the Word of God is communicating? 
I need to see the freedom that God has called me into, not so I can go and do what I want to do, but so I can look for opportunities to advance God's kingdom, the people that God loves, by the motivation of loving God Himself. If I really love God, I will love His people, and I will take the freedom that He's given me, and I will use it as a base of operations, not for the flesh, but for the Spirit of God who motivates me to express love for those around me. Again, John writes this in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. Now look at the scope of our love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's a sacrificial love, a love that is willing to go beyond convenience and care for the needs of those around us. In fact, John goes on to say, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? And then this important challenge, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You know, as I look at this passage of Scripture and I think about my freedom, I think of how often I take the freedom that God has called me into and I use it selfishly. Not to advance His kingdom, not to express love for His people, but more often to express love for myself. God wants us to abandon that kind of thinking, which will in turn produce a change in the way we live. Verse 18 really challenges me when it says, let us not love in word or talk. Isn't it easy to talk about how we love other people? The true measure of it is indeed in truth. Are we demonstrating by the way we behave, by the things that we do, that we indeed love other people? God wants us to live in that way, to use our freedom as a launching pad into that kind of activity. Third way that we live out our freedom, we live within God's moral boundaries. Now, for this, we look at the 14th verse, and notice it says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we look at the Word of God, we find that the Word of God and the principles that it shares with us as to how we're to treat one another are really passages of Scripture that express to us what love looks like in the way that we conduct ourselves with other people. For instance, when we really love people, we will be truthful with them. We're not going to lie to them, to deceive, to protect ourselves. We're going to think about the truth and expressing the truth. Love produces faithfulness. When I really love someone, I will be true to them. I won't cheat on them. I won't turn on them. I'll remain true and faithful to that person. This is what love does. So when the Word of God tells us that the whole law is filled up by one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, what it's challenging us to do is to understand the importance of taking the moral boundaries that God has put into place in His Word and make those our moral boundaries. You know, the temptation when we have freedom is to see a moral boundary. Suppose this platform is the moral boundary. And it tempts us to go and say, how close can I get to the edge of this moral boundary before I 
cross over the line. That's not what freedom should do. If this were a precipice of 100 feet, I guarantee you I would be standing back here looking over the precipice maybe, right? I'm not going to walk up to the edge and lean over like that because I'm afraid of heights. God is saying to us, don't do that with sin. Love your neighbor as yourself is a guide for us to use our freedom by investing it in the needs of those around us, the people that we come into contact with. It's not looking at the law of God and saying, what can I get away with? It's looking at the law of God and saying, what is right? You see, the problem when I operate from my sin nature rather than the Spirit of God leading me to love others is when I operate according to my own sin nature, when I hear God say not to do something, guess what my sin nature wants to do? Go and do it. Paul said this to the Romans, What then shall we say that the law is sin by no means? Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. What Paul's communicating to us is profound. If I am not operating by a dependence on God and a dependence on the Holy Spirit, when God says don't do it, what's going to be my first reaction? Wow, I never thought of that. And then that's going to start eating away at my thought processes, and I'm going to eventually find, lo and behold, I will yield to that sin. What God is calling us to do is to take our freedom, and rather than thinking about me and the gratification that I can find, to look at glorification of God and the opportunity to minister to the people who are around me. Last part of this passage, we live out our freedom by avoiding lashing out at others. Lashing out at others is not consistent with our freedom. So look at the last thought that we find in this passage. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, when we look at this part of the passage, I find it profound that this is a comparison contrast to what it is to love our neighbor. If I have freedom, I can look and I can be very sensitive about whether or not somebody else is impinging on my freedom. As a matter of fact, what I find as a pastor over 38 years in ministry, many of the arguments that come in church are arguments over freedom. One person will say, I'm free to do this, and everybody looks at it and says, wow, that is so unwise and insensitive, it's really not a good idea. And the person looks and they say, well, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm free, right? And then you have others that will come up and say, well, I'm not free to do that, so nobody's free to do that. And so I'm going to judge you by a standard that I've arrived at for me. It's not really addressed in God's Word, but it's one that I've come to. And therefore, any time that you cross the line that I've drawn in the sand, not God, but me, then I'm going to judge you. And so what happens is conflict. People come together, they argue with one another about their own personal agenda, their own personal ideas, and it's described in the Word of God as biting and devouring one another. 
Now, I know that Paul is talking about the flesh in this passage because look at what follows this 15th verse. Immediately after talking about biting and devouring one another, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's the context of this passage. And so as a follower of God, I'm not to seek difference for the sake of difference. I'm not to seek my own way. I am to willingly, lovingly surrender my freedom for the good of another believer and be willing out of love to exercise my freedom responsibly. That's the idea. First, guided by the teachings of God and the boundaries that He establishes, but also guided by love, which is perfectly expressed in God's Word. That's to be my boundary that I function within. And let me share this with you. When we live in this way, we live lives that are pleasing to God. We live as those who have been called into freedom and are exercising that freedom in the way that God would have us go and live and produce. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, how am I using my freedom? I've been called by God to live free from the consequences of sin, free from the power of sin? Am I taking the path that seeks to use that to get away with as much as I can possibly get away with to gratify my own sinful nature, my own sinful inclinations? Or am I looking at the decisions that I make and am I weighing them out and am I saying, is this glorifying to God and is this something that will minister to, care for those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants us to live our freedom responsibly. He's called us to it. He wants us to enjoy it. But be careful in the exercise of your freedom. If we want to lead changed lives that come from changed minds, many of us need to rethink our freedom. And by this, I mean the freedom from sin and its consequences and ask ourselves, have I been using this as a launching pad for me or for God? Let's be those who choose the latter. I'm going to live for God. Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the reminder that it is to each and every one of us that we have indeed been called to freedom. God, Teach us what it is to live within your moral boundaries. Do not seek to live license, a life of license that, that looks to, to placate ourselves and please ourselves. Lord, may we change the way we behave and, and seek to please you. God, I thank you for the many in this congregation who really do seek to please you, and I praise you for them. And God, for, for those who are struggling right now, and maybe your Holy Spirit has spoken to them and said, hey, wait a minute, you've been living for you and not for me. 
God, I pray that they just won't wallow in guilt for a while and then go back to business as usual. But that, Lord, we will see the importance of yielding to your Holy Spirit, allowing him to transform us and to see the change that comes as a result of yielding to his ministry. I thank you for this and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.